It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. Uh, it's our weekly opportunity to sit down with the award-winning journalists who cover the East End, do a bit of a deeper dive into the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com, and also Express Magazine. We have our holiday magazine out now we're very proud of. With me is our, uh, my co-host is our managing editor, Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you. And our panelists today, Denise Civiletti, the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Good to have you. Beth Young, who's the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. And our own Annette Hinkle, who is the arts and living editor here at the Express News Group. Hey, Annette. Hiya, Joe. How are you? Annette. And on video, Annette is bringing a little holiday cheer to the mix, which is good because we, we can all use that. So, good job. So, um, last week, septics was the big conversation. And don't worry, we'll get to septics. <laughs> There's a septic story coming. Don't worry. But, I, but I'm even more excited this week because it's a moratoria celebration. We have moratoria <laughs> to discuss. Um, Beth, let's start. Let's start in Greenport. Um, Greenport is talking about a moratorium now with a plan to take a closer look at their downtown. Is that correct? Yeah, um, there's been a lot of um, community um, upwelling of support for uh, taking a look at three downtown um, zoning districts um, that are really outdated. Um, So they uh, adopted a temporary moratorium at the beginning of this month in anticipation of a public hearing that they're having this Thursday at seven at the Third Street Firehouse. Um, And basically... um, it's a six-month moratorium on development in three ta- downtown zoning districts, and uh, they're looking to redo the zoning code so it reflects what they want the future to be in Greenport. Um, I think they really want to uh, encourage water-dependent uses, and um, they say fishing, and a, a lot of people sometimes say, well, you know, fishing is a thing of the past, but aquaculture and shell fishing, and there are a lot of new ways that people are using the waterfront these days that mm-hmm. um, that they really want the, the village to be able to encourage um, along the waterfront because they have a very beautiful waterfront there. And they, um, they came up with a, a, a pretty decent uh, local waterfront plan. Uh, about eight years ago or so, which was never adopted. Um, and uh, they really want to finally get this thing adopted because a lot of people worked really hard on it and it should be something to to guide the village's progress in the future, but it, they can't act on it because they never adopted it. So that's uh, going to be all up for debate during the course of the moratorium if it goes through. Um, I, I, I imagine they're going to be looking at uh, climate change mitigations too. I think they would have to, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, yeah, Greenport is <laughs> Greenport floods a lot, yeah. um, and um, uh, I I think they they've kind of adapted to it along the waterfront, um, but that's definitely something that they have to think about for the future. It's kind of intriguing to me because Greenport, I think, a lot of times is held up as a as an example of a village that's developed in a really positive way and and, and has a really healthy downtown and and you know i think has been getting better and better i think you know it's the, they get crowds for events there it seems to be a fairly busy downtown area it's a it's kind of a success story isn't it absolutely it's and you know this is really sort of an outgrowth of its success um because a lot you know the, there's a lot of big money coming to greenport at this point and people who want to do bigger development projects that might not necessarily reflect so it's a very historic village. So it's a, the, the a lot of the development that they're talking about, you know, hotels and whatnot on the waterfront don't really reflect um, the history that's there. Um, but, but busy every weekend. Busy every weekend, Joe. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it, yeah. it, it, I, I think for events especially. But um, you know, I, I drive out there sometimes in, on on the weekends, and it's as busy as. As, as Sag Harbor, if if not if not busier yeah. at times, I yeah. mean it's really. You know what I think? What I think is inter- what I think is interesting about that is that I feel like Greenport and Sag Harbor are sort of sister towns in that yeah. they both sort of yeah. center around the working waterfront. But I feel like Sag Harbor, in a way, has already kind of lost a lot of that 
working waterfront thing. And, and I, you can see that the big money's kind of already moved in there. And, um, you know, there's not that much of a, of a real like working class fishing industry out of Sag Harbor. Now it's, you know, that whole waterfront has kind of already been snapped up. So I feel like it's a cautionary tale for Greenport to kind of hang on to more of those traditions than Sag Harbor has been able to, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it sounds like particular, I'm sorry. I was just wondering if, were there any particular um, proposals that, um triggered the demand for a more term. I know there's a ho- at least one hotel proposal that caused a lot of controversy. Yeah, that's one of the big ones driving it. It's um at the corner of front and main streets, which is kind of like the center of mm-hmm. of the village. Um and it's on a, a pretty small lot. Um and it was a pretty big proposal. And you know they've allowed big hotels there in the past. There's a there was a vacant lot for the longest time on the corner of Third Street and Front Street that they built this big boutique hotel, um, which also has like a little restaurant in it, but there's almost no parking. I mean, it's, you know, it's the same, the same problems you see in Sag Harbor. It's, it's absolutely a cautionary tale for what could happen to Greenport. It's the success breeds that kind of pressure. Now, as you said, you've got bigger money wanting to come in and sort of take advantage of that success that they're having, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's still a lot of really small retail businesses um, on in downtown Greenport, um, and and they still face a lot of seasonal pressures. I mean, there there are a couple that are closing right now, and you know a lot of people are concerned that you know if if they close in the middle of this moratorium, what's going to happen to the storefront? Well, the moratorium is going on, so that's something they have to kind of hash out because it's a very seasonal thing. And you know if if they miss next season, then they sit empty till twenty twenty four. How long a moratorium are they proposing? It's six months with the option to extend for two more three months. So I guess that's kind of like the standard. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that anybody. I mean, they always say six months, and and it's yeah. never, never <laughs> yeah. six for, months. It's not. It's just people, not enough time. For yeah. people who may not be moratoria familiar, <laughs> what, what's the point? What's the point of a moratorium, Beth? Why? Why? Why is a moratorium needed? Well, um, there are uh, basically you're, you can't submit uh, applications for building permits um, during this time. Um, so anyone who's thinking about building something in the next six months, they're not going to be able to build under the current zoning. They would build under the zoning that would, would hopefully be put in place during the moratorium. Um, so, so you don't want to rush for of people trying to get in under the, the existing rules. And that's why you put the moratorium in place. Right. As, and actually proposing the new rules when they set the public hearing for this Thursday, they they um, also set a short term um, moratorium just to keep people keep people from rushing them all in before the hearing happened. Uh, so it's actually already in effect. So um, do you think that there's basis. are they looking more at like like size restrictions or is it more use restrictions? Do you think it's it's going to be more use? use related things yeah is it just the waterfront or are they looking at the the rest of the business district as well there's three zoning three zoning districts one of them is the waterfront zoning district um off the top of my head i think it's i I don't have the names of the districts off the top of my head but it's basically the downtown um commercial sorry to put you on the spot yeah (laughs) i'm scrolling down a little deeper but i'm just curious whether it'll have a little bit of a wider effect in the you know, in the village to, with some of the businesses that aren't right on the, the waterfront? Um, we'll be like downtown front and main streets. Um, there are also a lot of houses in the in the that commercially zoned areas. So that's one thing that they're talking about is just the concern that um, the concern that individual homeowners will be able to do emergency repairs or whatnot. Um, while this is happening. So it's general commercial, retail commercial, and waterfront commercial zones. Hmm. Um, so I, I was intrigued by something that Annette said, because I was thinking the same thing, that I see Greenport and Sag Harbor as kind of mirror images in, in a lot of ways. And uh, before we move on to the other moratorium that we need to talk about, which is in, in Riverhead, I would like to mention that we did break some news this weekend out about Sag Harbor. Um, on Wednesday, we found out that Adam Potter's big proposal for the affordable housing and uh, the retail uses uh, 
on uh, what um, it's on bridge bridge streets basically right bridge and yeah it's like behind behind Main Street yeah. there uh, it looks like two of the big financing uh, entities behind that have pulled out of that project now and I I have to think that that must be I mean I think they pointed to sort of just the general financial climate right now I mean it's a it's a tough financial climate for any kind of major investments but I have to wonder if you know safe Sag, I'm sorry the Sag harbor uh, the safe Sag harbor that filed uh, the lawsuit challenging the village's affordable housing law which made this project possible um, right. I have to wonder if that didn't play a role in this I think certainly mayor Jim Larocco would say it did yeah, I think they also only had to flip through back issues of the Sag Harbor Express to see how difficult it is to build anything in Sag Harbor, especially when you're a low-lying Phragmites, um, sparse, you know, <laughs> full of Phragmites kind of wetlands. Um, mm. You know, I I mean, if they, honestly, it's like that. I think that was what's interesting. I felt like these these develop these developers were coming in with not a real clear picture of what it's like to try to build in Sag Harbor, not just with the bureaucracy and, and village hall, but just the environmental issues that you have there. You know, they're talking about a building yeah. this adjacent to where the gas ball was, which was a super fun site, you know, and I don't even know if that's completely, you know, free and ready to go um, with that kind of thing. But then you have that really low lying area. You have the fact that that area is not connected to the sewage system, you know, um, and um I mean, it's a big it's, proposal. Too. It's I mean, big. You know, you know yeah. I mean, it's I, I think I really do feel like they were sort of like coming in as outside entities, not totally aware of yeah. what they were getting into. But that's just my personal. Yeah, cynicism. well, it's it's big for Sag Harbor, but it's not big for the kind of projects right. Counterfer usually does. And their money's definitely going to go a lot farther somewhere else on Long Island. Definitely. And, right. and there's also there's an argument to be made that especially when we're talking about affordable housing, a, a couple of big projects will make it then. Uh, in a way. Um, but the problem is, where do you put them? And is that the appropriate place for it in the village? Uh, we we don't really know what the what the status of that project is right now. It's sort of we're still shaking out details. And I believe Adam Potter has said that Conifer still may be involved at some point. Uh, he doesn't seem ready to give up on the project just yet, but um, it certainly throws a monkey wrench into the plan. I would. I also, also think it's going to be like several years if it was to come to fruition at all. I mean, just going through the planning and zoning process would probably be a few years, you know, like I think that they, I get the sense that they maybe thought they could come in and get it done in under two years or something. Okay. Um, but I don't imagine, I mean, I have a feeling that they looked well, at right. what was happening. Well, didn't the they whole, just the tell whole... them they have to go through secret? <clears throat> I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Did they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm that sure. Might have been well, the whole the whole, the whole timing of it was was funny, and I'm just, um, you know, it's just supposition at this point. But the village passed the legislation that Joe said was was challenged to allow these affordable housing projects, and and on the same day or the next day, then all of a sudden, um, you know, Potter and, and Conifer introduced the, this proposal, and I think there was a shock to that and, and and you know and on on the public's end that uh, you know that it looked like the, the two were connected that the village was was proposing this project rather than it being a separate entity and and, and I think there was some confusion there and I imagine Potter and his group you know kind of saw it as okay so the village is excited about proposing affordable housing legislation and here we are with an affordable housing project thinking perhaps that the public was just going to immediately grab onto it and and hail it as you know as as one of the you know the solutions for affordable housing and as we know in sag harbor that just doesn't happen like that yeah if they weren't invited to the table the public is not going to be happy and i feel right. like that's kind of what this was you know they felt yeah, little, they well, feel i think they felt a little blindsided by the whole thing sure yeah. i just i suspect the conversation about that project isn't over and we're going to mm -hmm. be continuing on with it um, moving forward. But let me let me switch gears and, and turn to Riverhead because uh, we don't want to lose the moratorium track here. Um, <laughs> Riverhead, uh, we've been talking about a, a moratorium in Riverhead for a while, right, Denise? And, and you, I believe you're saying there might be some movement in that direction. Well, it looked that way. <laughs> um, and now it's back to we don't really know. Um, mm. So um, just to rewind a little bit, you know, Riverhead is in the middle of this um, very much stalled comprehensive plan update. The last comp plan was completed in 2003. Um, and 
They hired a consultant to update the comp plan in 2019. And then COVID happened and like for a variety of reasons, some of which really escaped logic and understanding as far as I'm concerned, the thing just sort of didn't go anywhere. And so this summer, um, on June, the supervisor announced that they were terminating the contract with the planning consultant. And uh, in July, they did that. And then um, they started looking for consultants to, to pick up where those other people left off, wherever that might be. Um, and they, um, so this has been like, you know, kind of j just chasing their own tail on, on the comp plan update for a few years now. And um, they are finally just about to actually authorize a contract with a new planning firm uh, at the upcoming meeting. So it's not going to get underway until January. That firm says it's going to take 14 months to complete the planning process. And their contract does not include drafting codes or, you know, seeing it through to zoning code. A plan is fine, but if you don't, you know, enact the recommendations, it really doesn't, like, it's not really anything, right? I mean, it has to affect, it have, they have to change the zoning codes to conform to the plan. So the residents, particularly residents in Calverton for over a year now, have been asking for a, a land use moratorium, a, a a development moratorium in Calverton because of like just a whole bunch of different things that have been proposed in the Hamlet. I mean, they, there was first, it was this wave of kind of like, that's not the right word, but like applications for giant solar production facilities. And the town in last October adopted a one-year moratorium on new solar production facilities. They exempted the ones that were already in the pipeline and um, just to be clear, because you were talking about that in Greenport, Beth, like, you know, they, there's no, like, filing an application, it doesn't give anybody any legal rights to develop the land. Like, it's got, they, they don't, that's a concept called vesting, you know, and to be vested, case law in New York is really clear. You basically have to have a shovel in the ground. You have to have all your approval and everything. So the town or village could at any point up to that point say, oh, we're changing the zoning. You have to conform to the new zoning. Like there's no legal, you know, mm -hmm. um, prohibition against that. Uh, so anyway, they've been asking for this moratorium. The town board is opposed to a moratorium. Uh, we don't want to stop growth. We don't, you know, that's the, what they've been saying. Um, you know, we don't want there's a lot going on, right? I mean, I, I mean lot. this so would, besides this this would really farm, throw thank a you. blanket over, over a lot of projects, right? Thank you for noticing I I, I lost my place. Thank you. <laughs> You're a good host, <laughs> so, yeah, so they did the solar moratorium, but besides all those solar projects, there are now like a bunch of big industrial warehousing projects that are on the table. And um, some of them are for really not even counting what's proposed inside the fence at the EPCAL at the Calvin Enterprise Park, the former Grumman site. Um, there are just these, you know, really large warehouses, like fulfillment center type of things, uh, including one uh, that's actually about proposed for a site about, I don't know, a mile from my house. <laughs> but um, that's a 641,000 square foot Oh like, my! Like, yeah. Uh, I, I imagine how quickly you would get your else? Amazon packages to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like those little grows. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it makes it makes good sense in terms of you know from business standpoint. Like that would be an ideal location, sort of, except for the road the road uh, network. But to to serve the North Fork, right? You have the facility. Uh, you have the facility in West Hampton, right? So it kind of makes, you know, and they need something around on the North Fork or with access, easy access to the North Fork. Um, <clears throat> so that's one of the many things that are proposed there. And the residents are saying, come on, like we need to really look at this and plan for it and not let the developers plan for it, plan, do our planning for us, because there's just way too much industrially zoned land in Galverton. Like yeah. so much land all around, like there was that big, you know, military facility there and so right. much land all around that. 
was zoned for industrial uses. Um, and now, you know, the inside of that park is zoned for industrial uses, not used by a military contractor anymore. So it's like, how much industrial zone land does a town need? You have to wonder. Um, and so this should be like, it should be done on a, it should be looked at comprehensively, right? So people are saying, do a more doubles Devil's advocate just for a second, because this is something that I'm really- That's Bill's job. I'm, I'm, yes, I know, Bill's <laughs> the contrarian generally, but I, you know, if you have land like that in Calverton that's sort of designed for industrial use, if somebody's proposing a giant project, if if that's what the land is for, why why would that be such a bad thing there? What what what's what's the what's the nature of the opposition to to well, using I mean, that property in that way? For one thing, like because there's so much of this type of land, and you know these are mostly they're vacant properties, right? They're either fallow you know fields or some of them are in active agricultural use. Um, but these, there's so much that there's like 2 million square feet of warehouse space proposed. Yeah. And one thing that I've learned in doing research about this stuff it, with all of these proposals coming forward is that a warehouse isn't what a warehouse used to be. Like these fulfillment centers are not warehouses in the traditional sense. That's not how they are used. And Zoning, you know, towns and counties and villages across the country have failed to really um, adapt their zoning codes to take these new kinds of warehouse uses into account because they generate like a lot more traffic. Um, there's so there's this um, 24 24 7 too. And it's a whole it's a different operation. Fulfillment centers, traffic. Yeah. fulfillment centers, to be clear take packages in and then they go from there from the fulfillment center onto smaller vehicle smaller trucks right and direct to the consumers traditional warehouses usually store things for commercial businesses and other retail outlets to that they then get moved to the other store to stores that's not what this is and so there's um this traffic engineering um manual um that like has every possible land use in it listed in it and um it it has that's how they analyze traffic you know impacts and so you know if it's an apartment building if it's this if it's that what you, you can expect in terms of trip generation is what they call it like how many trips it will generate per 1000 square feet of floor area of a, of a particular use and so just to give you a sense of that and and they have revised this manual to reflect these new warehouse uses um and so like a traditional warehouse the uh trip generation is like 0.19 trips per 1000 square feet of gross floor area and mm -hmm. one of these um fulfillment centers is 1.37 trips per 1000 square feet so it's like seven times the amount of traffic Mm. And especially that, when you're talking about a sizable project, you know, that adds well, up. This is like 16 oh. acres, 640. <laughs> like under, under roof. 16 yeah. acres under roof, under roof right? Yes. And they are looking for like extra height, too. That's another thing, mm. which allows, which basically gives them more, you know, storage space, obviously. They're called, they, they, they're called high cube warehouses, which means... Uh, they're built in a certain way to essentially allow for a lot more uh, automation in in how these things work. You know, um, can you tell I've been reading a lot about this? <laughs> I'm getting excited about this. But anyway, so it's like but this is you know, the new economy. I mean, you know, it is the new it's, economy. It's a big part of it. And it's, so it's the new economy. You know, but do you do you want you know? I mean, do you want LaGuardia Airport? You know, in in Riverhead's backyard is. Is, oh is, well, that's is, another. Is, that you're talking about the Cal proposal. Yeah. yeah, that's another. Thing. That's something else. I mean, they're talking about you know millions of square feet of uh, of, of warehousing there for like, that they're calling logistics center. That's at the former Grumman site. But this is just so like this site where this six hundred forty-one thousand square foot uh, 
fulfillment logistics center, they call it a logistics center, um, the developer, is is off of Middle Road um, at the where um, Toomey, I'm sorry, Manor Road comes into Middle Road. And it's, uh, you know, you know where Splish Splash is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a light at Splish Splash to get in. If you made a right at that light instead of a left to go to Splish Splash, that's Manor Road. And that road comes around and curves around and terminates pretty quickly at Middle Road. And Middle Road is a two-lane, somewhat windy um, road that is mostly, like, it's, it's residential. Yeah. Um, and it goes would- from... There, there, all the way out to um, Doctor's Path on on the other end, on the east end P- of it. Picture and, a parade of trucks, basically. Well, I mean, big, it, you know, big it's, and small, right? It's the way to get to, I mean, I don't think there's any question. It's a good way to get, it runs parallel to Route 58, east-west. And so if you're going to, you know, Southhold, that'd be the path to take, you know. Yeah. Um, so and it, and the road's not built for this. That's you know the location's not. That's what the community's saying. Oh, the location's not the right location for this thing. Anyway. So it's big. It's big stakes in in yeah. Greenport and in Riverheads. Um, yeah, no question. Something we'll have to keep an eye on. So this is behind the moratorium. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Finish. No, were, finish. The so there was a proposal. Tim Hubbard, Councilman Hubbard, was introducing a six month moratorium. But the person, I think, the only other person on the board who supported it is out of the is on vacation. <laughs> he <laughs> had to withdraw. To that. So I don't know what's going to happen with that because you know we we interviewed you know the other council people and there really is no support on the board for more time. I mean, interesting. interesting. The supervisor would support one that exempts everything that's already been filed, applications that have already been filed, and. Um, Another councilman said he would support a moratorium. This is Councilman Bob Kern. Um, if it uh, exempted benign uses. Mm, imagine trying to interpret what benign uses. Yeah. 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 Adding a level to that. We'll keep, I know you're going to be keeping a close eye on it, and we'll we'll be talking about it again in the future, I'm sure. Um, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group, as is our panelist, Annette Hinkle. Uh, We also have Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. And so we'll switch gears a little bit. Um, There's a couple of measures I wanted to talk about. Uh, One that was signed by Governor Kathy Hochul and another that's pending uh, that relate to animals. And... um, Denise, actually, the, the the first one is about puppy mills, and I'm pretty sure in the on the east end, this is a measure that has specific application to your area, right? I don't think we really have any of those. Um, we've had those types of of um, storefronts uh, that were selling um, pets down our way. I know there was one in Hampton Bay's for a time, and th- they've been around, but I think the only existing ones right now. Are, are up your way? Um, well, I know there are two of them in, in Riverhead uh, mm-hmm. that I know, and these are retail pet stores, you know, retail stores that sell animals, um, not retail pet stores that, you know, sell supplies, but right. that actually sell right. animals. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's there are two of them. Riverhead, like a, last year, um, it might have been earlier this year. I, I forgive me. I'm sorry. I didn't. But, but <laughs> adopted a, a very similar code to the one that the state uh, adopted, and um, and that says that you know you can't sell you can't sell dogs, cats, or or rabbits. Uh, and and the 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 idea behind the legislation being that there are so many animals um, to be adopted from shelters, right? That's well, the I mean, the, yeah, but the but the uh, the main idea behind this is to essentially, you know, turn off the the this valve on on puppy mills, like to eliminate retail outlets where these pup these disreputable breeders, most of whom are not in the state of New York, but where they can where they sell their inventory because the way they raise these animals is considered cruel and inhumane 
uh, by animal advocates and anybody who's ever looked at any of them. <laughs> so, um, you know, they, so this is, that's the, that's the main idea. Like, well, well you know, we're going to eliminate your, your point of sale here and, and try to, you know, get at these people that way. Um, and yes, then, you know, there are plenty of animals available for adoption that need homes. And, you know, right in our area, you know, all the towns, we all have animal shelters that are, you know, kind of busting at the seams with cats and dogs looking, you know, who are in need of homes. So, yeah, um, so and I know yeah. this was, but I, and then I don't know, you've probably heard it. There was a lot of chatter about this locally. Uh, a lot of people were, even though the South Fork doesn't necessarily have a direct impact from this measure, there were a lot of people on the South Fork who were pushing hard uh, to get this, to, to encourage Kathy Hochul to sign this bill. So they're yeah, celebrating. We have a lot of animal advocates on the South Fork, that's for sure. Um, and plus we have, you know, ARF, the animal shelter that actually reaches out and brings in animals from other states where um, protection laws are not, not not quite as good because, you know, it's it's interesting because dogs seem to be treated much differently in other states. You know, they're more like, um, you know, animals that are for the purpose of whoever owns them hunting or um security or whatever so i feel like they've really reached out and brought in a lot of animals from that they're rescuing from places um specifically like down south and out out west so um, if if there's an animal issue there's definitely a group on the south fork that's involved in it (laughs) there are some states that still have the kill shelters as well and i think Mm -hmm. yeah they um, do one of the things the local organizations have been rescuing animals to try and save them from those systems as well. We just had a story in the last couple of weeks of, of uh, pilots flying in some, some animals from New Mexico um, to ARF to, to, to be adopted out. So um, Beth, this is, this is a topic that, that is of great interest in general in the East End, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a, a time of year when everybody, when a lot of people are thinking about getting a pet. So it's a good time to highlight, you know, how many there are uh, in the shelters looking for homes. And there and there are more all the time because they're bringing them in from other places. And I think there's Absolutely. a big rabbit population. You know, people buy their kids pet rabbits yeah. for Easter. And yeah. within a week, they realize that having a rabbit is not as easy as they thought it would be. And um, unfortunately, yeah. those animals end up in the shelter. And I bet that's probably, they're probably really hard to adopt out. Let me tell yeah. you, I have had a pet rabbit and pet rabbits are wonderful, but they are a handful to deal with. And they are, they, they can be damaging and they are particularly uh, not the cleanest animals in the world to, to be dealing with. I will tell you that when we decided that it was probably not for us, we actually uh, we're able to find a farm that took our rabbit for stud. So I think <laughs> wow. we, repaid, we repaid that animal in kind um, when, when we decided it probably wasn't for our lifestyle. But that are you sure though, Joe? That 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 farm did story you, is pretty common among people. Who <laughs> had did it. you see the farm, Joe? Did you go to the farm? Did you actually true. witness the farm? Yeah. And that all of his children are going to come back to hunt you. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so there there are two other measures. Um, one which I'll just touch on, which is. I know the Montauket um, Nation has a federal, I'm sorry, a state recognition bill on Kathy Hochul's desk, and they are pushing uh, for the signature of that. We're actually going to have an article about that this week, I believe. But the other measure I want to talk about, because it is related to animals as well, Bill, is the measure that's on Kathy Hochul's desk right now, and it relates to the Wildlife Rescue Center here in Hampton Bays, the Evelyn Alexander Wildlife Rescue Center. And it's a property that's adjacent to some hunting grounds. And right. the measure is to try and address that. And it's on Kathy Hopel's desk right now. Yeah, the bill is very specific. And, and there is, there's a, a track of property that, like you said, is very is adjacent to, to the rescue center in, in, in Hampton Bays, um, where where hunters hunting deer, that's where they go to, you know, to 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 look for the deer. They're it's, a, it's a state designated hunting ground i think right it, i mean it, the state it, it allows is. it there it, it is but to get there you have to go along like the same trail you have to walk the same trail that splits one way to go to the rescue center and the other way to go to the hunting ground um and there have been a number of incidents where um 
where where people at the rescue center have um you know have have noticed um the hunting encroaching on the rescue center and one incident earlier this year one uh dramatic and unfortunate incident where you know the rescue center staff um you know heard a, a hail of gunshots and and went out and discovered that one of the deer that they had rescued and released back into the wild um was was sitting there shot um with the hunter apparently allegedly standing right underneath the sign that said no shooting no hunting and you know and had gone off the hunting you know hunting grounds and and into the the rescue center area and and had shot this deer so the community uh, um of course got got up in arms and asked local legislators to to you know to craft a bill that would just um prohibit hunting on that state land next to next to the uh the the rescue center um it was approved in you know both both houses uh, of the legislature and is awaiting the governor's approval um signature um it, it it boggles my mind that she hasn't signed it yet because it's so specific to the one property but i think anytime you're dealing with guns and you know and and second amendment stuff and hunters who are you know certainly a, a big uh part of the population elsewhere in in the state that that you're going to get some you know some feedback on that um or or whatever and um so yeah so she's she's got until saturday night to sign it if she doesn't sign it um then that's the end of the current legislative session and uh, the legislators would have to start all over again um next year and reintroduce the bills to to try to get them passed so we're we're waiting we're we're waiting to see what happens interesting stuff coming to the end of the session um so i also you know i want to switch gears and talk about a project um that we had a story about this week in the papers that seems to be getting a little interest online and that is in the village of sagponic where the mayor there bill tillotson has decided uh to take it on himself to have a portable toilet installed along a public road uh right right near his house by the way i have to say um and that raised uh, some of the people in the, in the village were a little unhappy about that but the mayor's explanation is a really interesting one about why he chose to do that you want yes. to tell us about uh, okay. um so i i just i, I was looking at, at the at the photograph that we have online on 27 east and the name of the company that provides the the uh, porta potty is call ahead which uh we, we <laughs> joke about a little bit in the newsroom so so yeah I so, think there's a so lack of appreciation for the the names of Portable toilet companies, which are, <laughs> yeah, which so are we, all of us. We, we looked at a lot of them this week. Yeah. Potty humor um, goes a long so, way. So, I mean, so, so this was the mayor's initiative. It was approved by the uh, the village board. It's important to note. Um, so it's um, so he had the the porta potty installed on narrow lane east, um, and he says it, it's um, you know it's just a, it's a matter of of dignity and respect to offer the the workers um you know working out on 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 the east end and in the area a, a place to to go to the bathroom with with dignity he did um he he had proposed installing porta potties at a couple different spots too and the village board kind of um nixed nixed that idea but um he was able to get this uh, at least one one installed and um and has promised to um um Depending, I guess he had a shoulder issue. Had he had surgery, um, but he he's hoping this spring to kind of build a little structure around it to uh, like a shed-like structure to uh, to create kind of a little rest area um, in the village. And, you know, on a personal note, as somebody and and you all know that that I uh, I drive Uber sometimes, um, you know, on the weekends and stuff and. There aren't a lot of public bathrooms um, on on the South Fork. North Fork's a little a little better. You've got you know more fast food joints and, and all that. But when you're out, you know Sagaponic, uh, East Hampton, and 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 all that, to to try to find a spot is 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 difficult. And I and I can't imagine these workers that are working out you know um, you know on these on these properties for eight hours that you know have nowhere to go to the bathroom. I- I'm intrigued by one thing about this, and that is that it was put in the village right of way 
yeah on on another person's property though right i mean it's it's well it's the village's it's property but i'm sorry it's the village's property they own the right away they own the right away it's in it front of somebody actually... else's property yes <laughs> but that's I, I mean i i i'm curious whether whether the person who owns that property was okay with this um yeah. whether they signed off on it i mean the village clearly can do stuff in the right away but this is I, I wouldn't want one on my. I wouldn't want one on my front yard. I, not I, in my I, front yard. No, we did, we did not reach. We did not reach out to that property owner, but I, mm -hmm. I, I imagine. It's I have not. to say, I've wished I've had. I had one in my yard uh, sometimes. Well. <laughs> um, this is a classic class uh, uh, struggle um, conversation, though, right? I mean, you know, it, it's it's the, one of the wealthiest zip codes in in the United States, and there's no question there are crews of workers at any given moment all over Sagaponic and certainly in Bridgehampton and Wainscott and in the areas all around. Uh, this is, I, I like that. He said it was a matter of dignity, that it was, yeah. it was, uh, you so, know, you know, you know, my question is why didn't I, I mean, why didn't they maybe put it at the actual village hall? Like why was that location selected? Do we know? Oh, well. Because it's diagonally across from from his property, and I imagine he saw people using the bathroom in the woods Maybe. or on the property. But I just wonder. I mean, it seems like Village Hall would be sort of a central place where you could put well, a few of those behind. You, you know what? That, what what I said to Joe when we were first talking about this story is is I don't know why. I, I, I mean, look, it would cost a lot of money, but these villages aren't poor to build comfort stations and and some of these you know villages and hamlets. Um, you know, along the along the South Fork, maybe on on Main Street, you know, Montauk Highway or whatever, where where people could just stop. I, you've got to maintain it and you've got to clean it and, you know, and, and all that. And it gets to be an expensive proposition. But, um, you know, I, I don't I don't understand why that isn't an option. And maybe nobody, you know, I don't know. Maybe pointing to a, a real public need that we didn't really think about before that 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 is something that might require rather than plopping a porta potty somewhere, which I, I, I'm not criticizing the mayor mm. for doing that. I think it's taking some steps to address it, but rather than doing that, maybe it requires a little bit more of a conversation about creating some community comfort stations in some yeah. areas, acknowledging well, I, I, again, this is, this is part of the new reality of the world we live in. And you know, like Southampton Village and East Hampton Village both have those public bathrooms. Now, I don't know if those are open twenty four hours or earlier. There, you know, the the limitation. Do we know what the hours are on those? I don't, I don't know. offhand. I can't imagine that they're open at night now. Yeah, and I'm not sure about beach facilities whether they're. No, they um, lock those up. If I was going to say, I there, think you are not getting in those. Ends. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, again, you know, we talked about the new economy with the need for for warehouse space and all that kind of stuff. This is also part of the new economy where you have so many people who are out working all day. And I, I thought the mayor's little dig on folks in Sagaponic, you know, the folks with the eight bedroom houses, how many people are willing to let some one of the workers on their property use one of those eight bedrooms? I mean, it's a fair point. I mean, you have a lot of, it's a service economy right now and this is one of the infrastructure needs we don't really think about all that much yeah well maybe so, this is the first maybe this is the first step and maybe you know if you see see some and, and it's a good easy first step i mean it's only cost in the village um about a hundred bucks a month according to the mayor and so maybe this is a you know a test a, a test case and you see that it's used a lot and people you know are, are grateful to see it then maybe you uh uh, maybe you move on from there and into something a little more permanent. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. That was Bill Sutton. He's my co-host. We are with the Express News Group. Uh, our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Annette Hinkle of the Express News Group. And Beth, I wanted to, you know, last week we talked a bit about battery storage facilities and how that's going to be part of the uh, upgraded electrical system that, you know, when, when you have more renewable energy, they require battery facilities to store that energy because that energy doesn't come 
you know, on a consistent basis. And we were talking about the fact that these battery storage facilities are being proposed throughout the area and it's starting to become uh, an issue. This has come up in on the North Fork in Kutchog, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a proposal on a farm field on uh, one of the most scenic roads in Kachog, which seems to be why it why it's getting a lot of the attention it's getting, because <clears throat> it's a very bucolic um, road that looks like the North Fork looked 50 years ago, uh, Oregon Road. Um, but there's a whole block that's in light industrially zoned on this road. And this is kind of to Denise's point earlier. I mean, a, a lot of industrially zoned land here is farmed. So unless you were looking at a zoning map, you wouldn't know that it's industrially zoned land. And people are used to seeing farms there. Um, so this has become a, kind of a big shock for everybody. And um, uh, NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research Development <laughs> Agency, um, has a bunch of guidelines for, that they want municipalities to go through to to enact zoning before they start considering these um, these proposals. But this is something that none of the zoning codes out here really anticipated. Um, and just you know, in terms of regulating the safety, regulating the plans for safety, regulating where they can be, and and we you know we're we're working with planning. Can, can we require? Can we require porta potties? That's a great idea. Kill two birds with one stone. There um, you go. Just don't these, get shocked. These, they're screened, so like <laughs> they got the screening we, already. We talked about these projects are are starting to pop up, and um, neighbors are starting to react a little bit to the idea of these facilities there there is a little bit of a of a concern about you know the the kinds of batteries that they use in these facilities can be volatile and and yeah, and fire, i think that's part of it hazards. but it's also just as you said you know it's a it's a very industrial building in the middle of of what might otherwise be a pretty attractive setting i think that's going to be one of the uphill climbs right yeah and i think also you know the fire suppression systems for these are still being um perfected for getting they're not perfect yet yeah absolutely um, you, i mean people and got every time to... there's an accident somewhere you know everybody says this, oh it could happen here and it you know the, there are a lot of different design considerations that that um that haven't gone into effect yet. I mean, some of the places where they had accidents, they don't even make those, they don't even make these parks that way anymore. The, the tech, I was just going to say the technology itself is really still evolving to yeah. different yeah. types of batteries, you know, that are being used. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, firefighters have to be trained. I understand that the Southern Fire Academy has some training available uh, for this particular, for, you know, to, to deal with these, these uses, but you know, they can't, they have like, if there's a fire, there's like an evacuation zone of a half a mile around it and stuff, because they could have wow. this uh, thermal runaway, thermal, thermal runaway, called? thermal uh, runaway, thermal runaway. And uh, yeah, so yeah. yeah, and there's, but there's six different kinds of lithium ion chemistry. And, and you know, it's, 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 we're all going to get we're all going to get an education in the next few years about what this stuff really is. I mean, I was going to say it's going to be incumbent yeah. on us to be able to explain this to people, too, because I think it's yeah. the, exactly the kind of thing that can get a lot of misinformation into the discussion. And, and uh, I think there are legitimate concerns here, but but we've yeah. got we've, we're going to have our work cut out for us to try and, and explain this to people. A lot well, of people are really scared right now. Yeah, and, 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 and these things are, are really needed, though. You know what I mean? Like they are. I was going to say things, that's the future. You know, renewable energy work. You really need to have. I mean, one yeah. guy pointed out at, at a town board meeting. Guy, it's got one of its proposals. Representative of a company that's proposing one of these. So, like you know, the solar the solar um, panels take in the sun when it's shining, <laughs> and that's not the peak time for use. Like right. you know. The middle of the afternoon is not peak time for use electricity use. It's it's after five o'clock when people get home and you know start running everything in their houses and there's no sun there for the most part for a good part of the year. So you need to store the energy somewhere for redeployment when the, the demand is high. And that's the whole point of these things. So 
yeah, it's going to be essential to, to make the transition, uh, at least until uh, the nuclear fusion is right. I, I was so I've been following that whole, that whole development. I'm, I'm not sure people understand how significant that really is. I mean, it's still decades away, but it's such a cool thing that 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 that's that they achieved a new level in in that research. And somebody's probably already planning a reactor in Calverton. Watch. <laughs> Nuclear <laughs> Joe. Nuclear Joe. Carl Carl Grossman, uh, our yeah. renowned columnist, wrote recently about the fact that that's actually a conversation that's starting to take place about small scale, um, safe nuclear power, which is going to be a new proposal. We're going to see more and more of those proposed locally. They're not fusion. It's a completely different technology, but um, it's don't, something we'll be talking about. Don't, don't so can I actually can I actually do a Carl Grossman segue here that's not kind of that's sort of related? Sure. So Carl Grossman wrote me because I had written the story about Yorma Kalkinen, who I saw last night at the church with G.E. Smith. And um, Yorma, of course, is the guitar legend from Jefferson Airplane. But he went to college in Antioch. Um, which is in Ohio, and his classmate was Carl Grossman. Um, so Carl Grossman had reached out to me to ask if I could put him in touch with Yorma because I'd interviewed Yorma um, in Ohio a, a couple months ago. Um, so, so I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> Carl Grossman said he and Yorma used to ride motorcycles through Ohio. Um, wow. So <laughs> I love that image. I've had that visual yeah. image since you told me that a couple of days ago, and I love that. So I don't know if they connected, but well, I, what, I tried. What's safer, nuclear energy or motorcycle? Carl goes <laughs> on a motorcycle. <laughs> Carl's brother is, is a pretty famous yeah. guitarist, right? Apparently, Carl's brother is a blues guitarist who has taught at Yorma's Fur Peace Ranch down in southeastern Ohio. So How about Just that? a little Sorry. trivia there to end the... Uh, end our <laughs> Very much a small world. Six yeah, degrees so of Carl Grossman. Yeah, Carl Grossman... Uh, as I said, he contains multitudes. I, I love the idea of Carl Grossman riding uh, motorcycles with Norma Kalkinen mm -hmm. through, through Ohio. So we're pretty much out of time. This is our, our last show before the holidays. We have about a week till Christmas. I believe Hanukkah starts on Monday. Um, so we want to wish all of our listeners uh, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, wonderful holiday season. We're going to actually take a few weeks off. Uh, and we'll be back in the early new year with Behind the Headlines. Um, everybody be careful out there because I'll tell you the, the various viruses that are circulating, not just COVID now, but RSV and, and the flu. I'm hearing more and more people going down with them. And uh, we still have holiday gatherings in front of us. So I just wish everybody a, a healthy and safe holiday season. So. I will say thank you uh, to our panelists today, to Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Thank you. Uh, to Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local. As always, Denise, thank you so much. Thank you. And to Beth Young, another regular. Thanks, Beth. We appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, and to my co-host, Bill Sutton, who is always here with me and uh, very much appreciated. Uh, very happy holidays and uh, happy New Year to you. As, as to you, Joe. Thank you. And and Behind the Headlines will be back in early 2023, uh, ready to roll again, and we'll keep an eye on the news for you uh, going into the new year and in the future. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it, and happy holidays to everybody out there.